Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to episode 19 of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Phil, tell us a little bit about our guest today. Yeah, today is an interview that I have been excited about for a long time. It's uh, with Karen Hutchinson. She's actually a co-author on In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence, uh, which I was able to uh, write with her. And uh, you were able to sit down with her and discuss a lot of really important topics. And I was hoping you could just share a little bit with the audience what you uh, what the, what they have in store today. Well, not only is Karen a clinical psychologist in private practice, uh, she works a lot with adoptive families and adopted children and really people who work with um, kids who are in um, an orphanage setting or a group home setting around the world. And it was just amazing to me just to sit down with another adoptive mom who also um, is walking the journey of adoption, but just to hear her depth of knowledge on the issues surrounding um, vulnerable children and kids who've been adopted was really enlightening. Yeah. So I, uh, you out there have a lot to be excited about over the next few minutes in this interview. Uh, as you listen, I just, I just hope that you write down any comments you have, any questions you have, and you share those with us at thinkorphan.com or by shooting us an email uh, at info at thinkorphan.com. You can also check us out on Facebook and uh, write some comments there to us. We, we definitely check them all out. We read them all. And I look forward to hearing all of those uh, things that you guys send to us. In the meantime, enjoy this conversation between Kelly and Karen. Hi, Karen. It's so good to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? Hey, Kelly. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Well, I am really excited about today's call, and I think you are going to be such a asset to our listeners, especially um, our adoptive parents and, and even all of the people who are listening who work with kids who are from vulnerable places and who um, that work with those kids who have experienced some trauma. So let's just kind of get to it. Why don't you share a little bit about your story and about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Dr. Karen Hutchison, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I grew up in Texas and went to grad school in Kentucky, where I started specializing pretty early on in my education and training with working from kids from underserved populations. And I knew that I had um, been called at an early age to do mission work, and, and my husband as well. Um, my husband is a pastor by training and a teacher and is a lot of discipleship training and pastoral training for men. And so I intentionally geared my education and training towards working with children and adolescents and families from underserved populations and also focusing a lot on international work, particularly with adoption and orphan care communities. So I did my education and training circling around those things. I'm also an adoptive mom myself. My husband and I adopted two children from Ethiopia. We became parents for the first time to two seven-year-olds from Ethiopia, and then we had two children by birth. So we have a 14-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, and a five-year-old son and a four-year-old son. So we keep it very, very busy at our house. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about what you are 
currently doing? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, my family, we live in Louisville, Kentucky, and I work at a private practice. It's called Kentucky Psychiatric and Mental Health Services. I see patients here, and I'm also the director of discipleship at a ministry in Louisville, Kentucky called Scarlet Hope. And Scarlet Hope is a ministry where our our vision and our mission is to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ to women in the adult entertainment industry. My work focuses predominantly on on trauma. I work with trauma from little kids to big kids to adults and with families. That's great. So I know that you and your husband have uh, lived in uh, Uganda, is that correct, as missionaries? Yes, we did. I started doing international consultation several years ago, and that looked just like Skype calls. It looked like putting together documentation and training programs, providing on-site training for orphan care communities. And I also do a lot of missionary member care. And so... You may think that I, I work all the time. I do not. I just have several different areas where um, my heart is super passionate about it. And one of those is um, international work through training of orphan care communities as well as missionary member care. And our family lived in Uganda and we are back in America and I still provide international consultation to a couple of different NGOs and ministries where I provide missionary member care and then I'm available for orphan care communities as well, just to provide consultation, whether that's on site or just by email and by Skype and, and other ways of connecting, which honestly, I, I do prefer. I love to travel, but I always want to keep um, the stewardship of the ministry as well as time and, and efforts in, in mind. And now that we have so much technology, we can actually do a lot of work from where I am sitting right now. And I can do a lot of work in helping people who are across the ocean. I actually have a phone call after this with a young lady in Singapore. That's <laughs> so. great. That's great. How do you feel like living abroad and just kind of working with different organizations? How do you feel like that has affected your opinion and your, your insight into how to best care for, for vulnerable children? That's a great question. You know, I think that uh, even prior to my family living overseas, we had quite a bit of experience and and doing trips that were very intentional, but trips that would provide specific education or specific training, training that wasn't available in that specific area. And so we were mindful of, of being intentional and, and being um, like-minded with organizations that we were partnering with. We definitely wanted to help without hurting. I think to answer your question, there's just a huge need. And a lot of us, we think that we have um, the exact answer. And I think it just became even more increasingly aware to me that there's just a massive need. And even though I may have some great ideas and other people have great ideas, until you're in that setting for a pretty significant amount of time and you really become assimilated and familiar with the culture, even my best ideas that are really trauma-informed and culturally sensitive, they may not be exactly what that that ministry that needs and may not be exactly what those children or those families needs. And so I think it's just having... Um, just a really humble perspective and understanding that um, there are differing needs across the globe. And some ideas that work may not work in certain areas. So I love um, the work that Think Orphan is doing, along with the book um, In Pursuit of Orphan mm -hmm. Excellence, where it's pulling together professionals who have experience throughout 
really the globe and, and just talking through and bouncing ideas off of each other. The other big piece that was very, very evident and has been evident and one of the reasons that I, I do some of the work that I do related to missionary member care and Um, For those of you guys that may not be familiar with that term member care, essentially it's providing care for individuals who are living overseas, and it actually can be used domestically too. I do member care with the ministry that I work with here in Louisville too. It's essentially making sure that those of us that are in helping professions, those of us that are striving to serve and to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ or to help children who don't have families, that we're actually healthy enough to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And overseas especially, it's it's hard to live overseas. You're mm-hmm. in a different culture. A lot of times, um, you're living in environments that aren't necessarily comfortable. Electricity may be sparse. Mm -hmm. Access to running clean water may be sporadic. And so those additional stressors on top of experiencing the traumas that our everyday traumas sometimes Mm -hmm. in internationally developing countries, it can be hard to care for yourself well. And so I found that that is absolutely crucial and essential, and it's absolutely needed in in multiple areas, not just in East Africa where I was doing some work, but from, from what I can gather, it's just, it's needed all over. Everyone that is in a position who is helping others, whether it's even myself as a clinical psychologist, making sure that I'm in a place that I'm healthy enough to be providing the best care possible. And from a faith-based and Christian perspective, that looks like that my my faith journey is mm-hmm. the first and foremost thing that we're looking at. How are things going in my journey with faith? Making sure that I'm caring for myself well in multiple areas so that I can pour into and care for others well. Mm. I think that's such a good point because we forget um, just the impact that it has on us, on our on our bodies, on our minds, on us spiritually, when we are constantly pouring out. Um, You talk a little bit about um, just short-term missions and just being able, you know, when helping hurts, you kind of use that. Um, So what do you feel like are appropriate uh, short-term missions for people who are wanting to, to, to help? They're really, you know, their hearts are to go and to be a blessing and to uh, provide um, just some assistance to people who are working with, with, with kids around the world. So what do you feel like are appropriate for people who are wanting to do that? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it, it's such a hot topic for the last several, several, several years. And I'll even be sure and kind of preface my statements with a foundation of grace and, and, and understanding that I don't have all the right answers. I don't have the answers. But I think from my perspective, uh, clinically and professionally, and even my perspective as a mom of older adopted children and, and hearing some of the stories that they remember of, of being in an orphan care community and what it was like like to see people coming and going and being asked to perform for them and um, receiving all kinds of gifts and not understanding what those things meant. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I am just really very much on the side of um, not recommending short-term mission trips. I think that for those of us who have a specific calling and God has equipped us and we can, and that's not, doesn't mean just professionals and that doesn't mean just missionaries and that doesn't mean just pastor's wives or just adoptive parents or just orphan care advocates. I think that there just has to be a lot of intentionality behind what trips look like and making sure that 
we are leaving that environment with something that that environment didn't have or didn't have, have access to learn. I think a lot of times, as some of the literature talks about, it ends up being a, a vacationary trip where there it tends to be more of what can I get from this environment? How can I be filled up? How can I be kind of called into this type of work? And it just typically doesn't translate well, especially to the children. Um, in those environments, particularly with orphan care communities. We don't want to go over and do a job that people can do for themselves. Um, people in developing countries, <laughs> they can paint, they can dig. And so providing opportunities where we're leaving a skill or are providing something that is just not accessible in that community. Um, I just think we have to be super intentional about that because it, it absolutely impacts kiddos who are living in orphan care communities mm. when we come and we leave. And a lot of times, I think it has gotten better. I do believe it's gotten better with with intentional short-term mission trips. But it's just very confusing when we have, when children see people coming for a short amount of time and they are very loving and they are very affectionate and a lot of them are actually interacting with them in a clinically inappropriate way and it mm -hmm. fosters attachment deficits and it creates confusion related to relationships and affection and adults and even related to the skin color of adults in some of our developing countries. Mm -hmm. and. I'm kind of rambling now, Kelly, but I hope that mm -hmm. you hear my heart in that. I think there are uh, pieces of good thing. There are good things that can happen with short-term mission trips as long as they are very intentional and very um, prepared for and planned for. Mm. I totally agree. I think that people don't maybe, you know, we use the word orphaned, vulnerable children. And, you know, I think sometimes we throw those around a little bit, but just could you maybe just from your experience and, and especially from your your work as a clinical psychologist, just yeah. what do you feel like are the most common issues that that orphan kids and vulnerable kids face? And how do you think we can best evaluate and address those needs in the context of adoptions, foster care um, and yeah. orphanage settings? Mm, that's a great question. And if we had like 15 hours, <laughs> exactly. we, could, we could land on that. So let me talk just specifically real quick from my experience as a clinical psychologist practicing in the United States. And so my caseload at the private practice surrounds and focuses predominantly on families that have grown through foster care or adoption. And so I think one of the main things that we can do, especially where the church can come alongside families, the church has done a wonderful job in the last decade or so of promoting orphan care. The church has done a great job of um, promoting awareness and, and even some areas of advocacy. Unfortunately, what that does sometimes is it really um, kind of promotes this fantasy of what adoption can look like. And so one of the biggest areas that I find is that parents are entering into adoption and foster care with a very unrealistic expectation of what that looks like. Parenting kids from hard places is a long-term commitment. Parenting kids who have histories of hurts is often different than parenting children that we've had by birth. Research consistently shows that um, for children who don't have histories of harm, meaning for children who haven't experienced trauma, abuse, and neglect, there's a pretty wide 
wide range of parenting strategies that typically work. But when we're parenting and we're providing care for children who have histories of harm, oftentimes there's a very, very narrow range of parenting strategies. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what we see is when kiddos have had instances of being hurt, meaning neglect, trauma, or abuse, or even witnessing domestic violence or experiencing a natural mm -hmm. disaster, children have learned survival skills. And those survival skills are wonderful because they're here and they've learned to adapt to their environment and, and survive. But oftentimes those survival skills look like externalizing behaviors. They look like hitting, screaming, mm -hmm. kicking. They look like things that are very... Um, difficult to parent and they were they cause a lot of stress for parents experiencing those things mm -hmm. and so honestly Kelly I get a lot of calls and the calls that I receive are from parents and oftentimes they're dr. Karen you know I need I need you to fix my kid you know we need mm -hmm. help with my kid and I immediately start obviously with like an intake process mm -hmm. and an assessment process, but then my work starts with parents. My work starts with making sure that parents know who they are and whose they are, making sure that parents have an understanding of how very important it is for them to present themselves in a calm and controlled manner so that their children not only know that they're safe because of our words, but that they feel that they're safe because of our actions. Mm. And a lot of times parents have waited years and years before they've received professional help and their fuses are short. Their frustration tolerance is low mm -hmm. and our kids have engaged in these behaviors or they have emotional reactions that are very difficult to manage and that kind of chips away at the connection that a parent has with their child or it chips away at the possible attachment that parents and children can have. Mm. Man, I, I know that's definitely been my journey, especially working as an adoption social worker through the years and, and just the post placements that I've done. It's just such this fine line. I feel like parents walk who have adopted or who are fostering of we never want to present our child in a negative way um, to the outside world or we never want to minute. But yet we don't want to minimize what they've gone through. And so it's just that fine line of protecting their story, but yet being honest about what is really going on in our homes. And so I feel like yeah. there's so, you know, a lot of times adoptive parents become so isolated. So. Mm -hmm. And, and just, yeah, they just don't know who to trust, I think, a lot of times. So how yeah. do you feel like just I think you kind of mentioned it, you know, what are some of those techniques? And I know that you are a huge fan of, of trauma based initiatives. And and um, what does that even look like when we use trauma based intervention, you know, trust based, sorry, tra trust based. It. Yeah. Um, interventions. What what you does that it. look like? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And you've hit on some really good topics um, of I love of, of you saying, you know, not sharing our kids' stories and, and um, really wanting um, authenticity and, and a place to share for parents. That's so very important. Uh, so often I tell parents, you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to speak with churches and ministries and just really encourage them that if we are going to promote orphan care, that then we have to promote that before, during, and especially after a child comes home and joins a family. And so some of my favorite ways of, of helping parents and, and helping families is through 
through trust-based relational intervention, that TBRI, that mouthful mm-hmm. <laughs> acronym by um, the wonderful and brilliant Dr. Karen Purvis. Um, those, that's my favorite thing that lays the foundation for parent training. Um, Dr. Karen Purvis and, of course, Dr. Dan Siegel are two of my favorite professional people to learn from, to, to read about, to read their books. They're my favorite resources to use during uh, my work and also to recommend from parents. And those resources help lay the foundation for the whys for the parents. It helps parents to understand why this may feel different, why this feels so complicated, why doing some of the same things that may have worked with your children by birth, you're hitting your head against the wall with your child that you brought in from foster care or adoption and helping them to understand that trauma is real and that trauma impacts the body and trauma impacts the brain, that even things that happen to children in utero can impact the way that their brain develops can impact the way that they respond to certain things in their environment, not only as an infant, but also as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so trust-based relational intervention gives a great job, does a great job and gives so much practical information. It doesn't seem like clinical jargon. It doesn't seem like psychobabble of providing parents with kind of some aha moments, some moments where you read through or you go through the training with someone like myself or through another um, trained clinician or person who's trained in trust-based relational intervention. And and it provides them a lot of times with that normalizing effect, that effect of feeling like, oh, this isn't just me. Like, I'm not a bad parent. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not a bad Christian. It helps provide an understanding that these things are real. What your child has experienced is real. Trauma is real. These things are real. Um, TBRI also gives really practical ways to interact with children. It gives practical ways to respond to a child when they're dysregulated. I like to combine um, trust-based relational intervention with aspects of TheraPlay. And TheraPlay is an empirically supported treatment that works with children and families to create and foster connectedness and attachment. And then I'm always using Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Bryson's work from No Drama Discipline, Whole Brain Child, and Brainstorm. Those are my favorite resources where we're teaching parents um, and we're helping them understand how important it is to connect before we redirect children, how important it is to keep ourselves calm so that we can help our children learn. That's what we want to do. We want to teach our children. We don't want good kids that sit perfectly in the pew at church. We want children to learn. We want children to understand how to problem solve and make the right decisions. And that's really hard parenting. That is parenting that is very intentional and it's parenting that takes a lot of time and it's parenting that oftentimes looks very sacrificial. Yeah, there's definitely no quick fix. And I bet that's what you find a lot of parents, like you said, they come in yep. and it's it's fix my child. And, yep. and yep. you know, it is. Um, do you feel like, um, especially in, in all the work that you do with children, is there ever a point of no return? Like, you know, or yep. do you ever have parents who think it's just it's never going to change? And, you know, what would you say to those parents? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great question. So first, kind of that first part. No, there's absolutely no point of there is no point of no return. I think I said that correctly. Mm-hmm. And the reason is is because we have hope in Christ mm-hmm. and, and there's always hope for restoration and redemption in Christ. There's always hope for our children. A child is never too far gone. A parent is never too far gone to not provide hope and healing for that child. Now, Kelly, that, that may look very differently depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. It 
a lot of times it's helping parents come to a realistic and an appropriate expectation for your child of understanding that if your child came home from an un a developing country and has a history of complex trauma, if your child came home at age 12, your child is probably not going to go to Harvard and he's not going to play on the polo team mm -hmm. uh, of understanding that he's not going to graduate high school, most likely when he's 18 of understanding that the, tr the typical developmental trajectory for our kids, especially our kids who come from histories of harm and especially our kids who come home at an older age as parents, we have to really, um, change and mold our expectations for our children. Mm. I think that's such a great point. I think about um, just the like you were you mentioned a lot earlier, just how, you know, a lot of times people have waited years to adopt or they've waited years to bring this child in. What do you feel like is some good preparation, I guess, on that side and of before a child enters your home, because I am now a huge advocate that I feel like every adoptive parent, foster parent needs to have trust, yes. you know, know yeah. what these trust based relational yeah. interventions are. Can you share a few yeah. of what that looks like of how does parenting actually look different? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, kind of to go back to pieces of, of your first question is it was such a good question. I absolutely strongly recommend anytime that I'm speaking at conferences or churches or seminars, whatever. And, and if they're kind of um, like adoption curious population, then a lot of times what I speak on and it sounds awful and it sounds um, abrasive, but I usually speak on like why you shouldn't adopt. Mm -hmm. And that's coming from a massive orphan care advocate, a massive um, a person who who's, has her heart beats for caring for vulnerable children, for caring for children who don't have families. But I just think being so very aware, as aware of, of possible, as knowledgeable as possible, um, becoming an expert, that doesn't mean you have to have a master's degree or a PhD, but as much as possible, understanding what the reality of fostering and adoption looks like, particularly adoption that will be long-term mm -hmm. and permanent. Um, the way that that looks is getting connected with, with someone who may be trained in trust-based relational intervention, getting connected with a group of people in your community. Here in Louisville, we have a wonderful resource, resource called OCA, Orphan Care Alliance, where there's support groups for families, there's conferences, there's seminars, finding ways to get in front of people that know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I am not at all saying listen to your sister's nephew's aunt who <laughs> writes a blog about like dog adoption. Mm -hmm. Don't listen and don't believe everything you read about adoption from blogs or from, I would say, like non-professional websites. Mm -hmm. Go to people that have these specific trainings. Mm -hmm. Go to people who believe in Jesus. If, if that's where you are and, and that's your story and you're mm -hmm. adopting because God's called you to adopt, that's a beautiful thing. And God can call you to adopt and God can call you to care for children who don't have families. And that calling may may morph and it may transform into something else if you realize, you know what? I don't think that I've ever worked through my history of trauma. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I should bring a child into my home who has trauma. And so caring for a child who doesn't have a family may look a lot different than that original calling. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not listening or being obedient. It means you're actually being super intentional and a wonderful steward of your time and your resources for these children. The biggest thing that I would say in that second piece of your question, Kelly, of what can parents do and how does this look different? Honestly, the, the best 
information that I could give in this short amount of time is for parents to ferociously seek after their own story, Mm -hmm. to ferociously understand who they are and whose they are. It is so very important that we as parents have worked through as much as possible all of our junk Mm -hmm. before we try and parent a child who has a history of harm. That does not mean that we're perfect parents. I am not a perfect parent. I am not a perfect clinician. I am not a perfect person. Mm -hmm. But of really promoting and um, kind of getting the word out and strongly, strongly recommending from a clinical perspective, as an adoptive mom, from a faith-based perspective, that parents understand how pieces of their story will impact Mm -hmm. how they parent kids who have histories of harm. Even if they hear me and they're like, whatever, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I have four kids that I've raised from birth and we did amazing and they do play on the polo team at Harvard. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm telling you that based Mm -hmm. on my 10, 10, 12 years of experience, Mm -hmm. that when we bring kids into our home who have histories of hurts, most likely uh, we're going to be triggered with some pieces of our stories if we aren't ferociously seeking healing in those areas, if we haven't sought healing in those areas, and if we're not touching base and checking in with people about how we're doing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to have a weekly session with a licensed clinical psychologist, but it means maybe you need to make sure that you're in community. Maybe it means that you need to make sure that you're going to a monthly meeting with adoptive parents. Maybe it means that you need to make sure, gasp, that Mm -hmm. you and your husband or you and your wife are talking about how things are going, Mm -hmm. are talking about what it's been like since this child entered into your home. There has to be an emphasis on being transparent and being real and being genuine and sharing. And too often, Kelly, in our church environments, in our ministry environments, we walk around with the the mask, the facade. Mm -hmm. We think that everyone has to be shiny and pottery barn and sparkly. Adoption is hard. Mm -hmm. Parenting kids who have histories of hurts is very hard. And when more of us are willing to be transparent about those things, it's going to provide a foundation and a more realistic view for families who may be called to grow their families through foster care or adoption. Mm. I I wholeheartedly agree from both a professional and a personal experience of just, I feel like the work God has done in my own heart um, since we've brought our adopted son home was needed, but it was painful and it's hard. Um, So I I totally agree. You know, attachment is such a hot topic in parenting. What do you feel are some ways families can foster attachment in a healthy way? Um, but also people who who maybe it's your Sunday school worker or your your teacher who is who is yeah. um, working with kids who maybe are fostered or, or orphaned or vulnerable at risk. What are some ways that we can foster healthy at- attachment with those kids? Great question. And, and I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record, but I think it's just so very important. I think that if churches have a specific ministry or if churches have a heartbeat for caring for children who don't have families, then that heartbeat has to be more than a presentation at Orphan Sunday. That heartbeat has to be more than placing a picture of a multi-ethnic family on the kind of cork board mm-hmm. promoting adoption or foster care. It has to be woven throughout the ministry in general so that if we are going to promote and we are 
are going to pray that God would call families to care for children who don't have families. And we have to weave that throughout our entire ministry. Mm -hmm. And that means taking steps towards um, particularly having your staff that are interacting with children, your Sunday school volunteers, your children's ministry workers, your youth workers, becoming trauma informed. That doesn't mean they have to get a master's degree. It just means that you provide training, you provide resources for those um for those staff members and those volunteers where they start to understand kind of like what I've already said, Mm -hmm. we're going to experience kids in our Sunday school, in our Awanas, in our small groups, in our, um, you know, summer camps, whatever the venue may be. And when our kids have histories of hurts, they're probably going to respond differently than a child who doesn't have a history of hurt. So making sure that volunteers and staff understand that punitive disciplinary responses, Mm -hmm. even in a church setting, are probably going to cause our children to become more reactive. And it's going to cause our children to become more fearful. Mm -hmm. When our children are operating from a basis of fear when they're when they're scared their brain is literally not at a place where they can learn what mm-hmm. they've done wrong their brain isn't at a place where they can learn how can i do that better next time how can i learn from this person who's trying to teach me when they're scared their brain's literally not integrated or on track to do mm-hmm. that and so providing trainings um helping volunteers and staff understand praise god our ministry is um Multicolored, and we have children mm-hmm. from all across the globe. Just like God is going to have His people with every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We want our churches to look like that. But if we want our churches to look like that, we have to be prepared to take care of children once they enter into our churches. Mm-hmm. That is one of the biggest, biggest needs that I see here in America, and one of the ways that um, I try and promote awareness and advocacy of, of speaking to churches, of speaking to ministries, of going in and saying, like, look, here's what you've got to do. Here's some basics that you can be aware of. I don't have the time to get into that with you Mm -hmm. right now, but I think the basic things would be just understanding um, of being aware and acknowledging that our kids are going to be a little bit different. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're bad and that doesn't mean that they're sinning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It It means their hearts and their brains have been wired differently. And praise God that we have an opportunity to to come alongside of them and share the hope and love of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. through an adult who is so in control of themselves, who is so um, calm and is so composed, and they are able to meet that child's needs. Mm -hmm. When we are in control of ourselves as adults, as caregivers, then we are present and able to take care of a child's needs. I think, yes, that is such good, 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 helpful information, I believe. You mentioned some great books, and I'm definitely going to have those uh, in our show notes. We'll link to those. Um, Some that I'm actually, I'm reading The Whole Brainchild right now, and so um, love it so far. But just, we ask all of our guests, what is a book that you are currently reading or maybe have read recently that has influenced um, your opinion or um, just kind of, I don't know, just kind of maybe made you think about just how you can care for orphaned or vulnerable children. Yeah, there's so many. Um, I have a hard time like choosing. I think honestly, I, 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 this isn't necessarily a book that's specifically about adoption, but I just can't recommend highly enough. Um, Dr. Dan Siegel's books, whether it's The Whole Brain Child or No Drama Discipline. I don't even know. I, I tell my patients this often. I usually have like 
15 of those books in my office <laughs> ready to give out. And I don't, I'm always like, I don't know which one you should read first because they're so good. They're similar content, but they're so good. They're practical. Mm-hmm. They give real world application. You know, they're not faith-based and that's mm-hmm. okay. But the talk specifically and provides us with information about how to care for children who have histories of hurts. And I am just, you've heard me over and over again, but I just come from such a standpoint of as, as prepared as possible that we can be as parents and caregivers and teachers and people who are interacting with children who've come from histories of harm, who've come th- from international adoption or domestic adoption or foster care as much as possible if we can be prepared. The other one that I would say um, is one of my favorite books that I found maybe six months ago and any opportunity that I can have to promote it. I do, so I'm gonna take a minute to promote Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's called Good Pictures and Bad Pictures, Porn Proofing Today's Young Children by Kristen Jensen and Dr. Gail Poynier. It's one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. I did not come back to America thinking that I was gonna specialize in helping children and families and helping families protect themselves against pornography, but that's been one of the biggest things that's been um, included or kind of this comorbid thing going on with families who come to see me. Mm -hmm. It is so wildly important that parents take the initiative and take responsibility Mm -hmm. for teaching their children about healthy sexual development and protecting their hearts and minds against pornography. I've had about 120 patients since I started seeing patients last March, and literally about 115 of them have had pornography involved in some form or fashion in that family. They may not have called me asking for help related to pornography, but once you do an assessment and an intake, you realize that pornography is a part of this family story, whether it's the mother, whether it's the father, Mm. whether it's the child or the sibling. And it's so wildly important, especially for our kids who have histories of hurts, especially for our kids who come from um, institutionalized settings Mm. and um, orphan care communities from developing countries. A lot of times our kids have already been sexualized. It doesn't mean that all of our children have been Mm -hmm. sexually abused. It means that they have been sexualized. And that may simply come from a difference in cultural norms, Mm -hmm. but helping parents to understand it is so very important that you teach your children. And this is not a conversation that you have with a 13 year old on the side of their bed, a Mm -hmm. one-time conversation about the birds and the bees. This is an ongoing conversation that I strongly recommend starts at about age two. Mm -hmm. And it starts with books that teach children how to keep their bodies safe. Mm. That's, those sound great. I know I will definitely be adding those to my, uh, bookshelf for sure. We also like to share just what is one person that's influenced you um, throughout your life or even that's had just kind of that biggest impact on how you can care for uh, orphans? Mm. I think that my answer will probably be um, a pretty popular answer, but it's Dr. Karen Purvis. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, She's she was just an amazing woman. Her heart was for the Lord. Um, the way that she conceptualized trauma and, and treatment and development, it, it's absolutely um, on point. She's been a huge hero of mine, a mentor. I was blessed to be able to train under her for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, she's absolutely impacted, I believe, our, our field of developmental child psychology. And I would even say uh, working with children and families who've grown through adoption and foster care in the, in the biggest way ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it would have to be Dr. Karen Purvis professionally. Dr. Dan Siegel is pretty close up there, but Mm -hmm. in general, it's definitely Dr. Karen Purvis. Mm. Yes, she's definitely had an impact on most of our lives who work in this field for sure. Well, Karen, I really have just enjoyed our conversation and just are thankful for the work that you're doing and, and just how you are educating and working with families who are in the trenches and uh, who are, whether it's here or abroad. And so thanks so much for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed my time with Karen and just the depth of understanding she has when it comes to working with uh, kids from vulnerable places and and just learned a whole lot and was really encouraged as a mom. What about you, Phil? What, What stood out to you? Well, Karen, it's not surprising that I just really enjoyed that conversation that you had with her because Karen has a heart of gold and she has helped me um, understand these issues on a professional level, also on a personal level. Um, she's helping with my, my family and the issues we've had with our kids. And I just can't um, speak highly enough about uh, the work she does and the person she is. And really in that interview, what what stuck out to me was really when she said that there is no point of no return for the children. There is no place where we lose hope for hope and healing. And that was something that is so encouraging because you hear so many studies and you hear so many stats about how, you know, these kids are, you know, if they aren't uh, attached by the age of two or if there isn't the proper... Um, you know, relationships that they have that they could not develop their brains appropriately and not be able to do things um, to their full potential. But to hear Karen give that encouragement and that hope, but also understanding that it will look different in each child and it may not be to the fullest potential, but it still is a huge hope that we have for healing in these children and for them to to really flourish in their lives and uh, in the communities that they live in. I think that's such a gospel perspective when you step back and really think how um, none of us is perfect, but how God can always redeem and God is always at work and how God can bring beauty from ashes. And I think that's the story of a lot of people, but especially kids who've walked through some some tough things. And so I love that perspective. And I think as, as people who work with kids, um, or really our perspective with anyone we encounter should be that, that none of us are beyond the ability to change. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the other thing that Karen talked about, and, and it really is, it's, uh, I don't know if it's similar, but it, it's the idea that she talked about the short-term trips and to, to not go into them without intentionality and without a purpose. And, you know, that's something that, this is something that we've ta- I've talked a lot uh, to Karen. Uh, we've talked about, about this a lot. The idea that, you know, you don't just go into it um, with the hope that you might be change some way or that, you know, God may show you something, but really it's intentional relationship building. It's intentional. It's intentionally going into a situation to say, okay, God, how am I going to be able to develop a relationship with somebody else where we will have a mutual respect and admiration, where we will have an ability to develop into each other. And there are so many different ways people can work with each other, but to use that intentionality. And I love that word that she used. And so that was something else that stuck out to me with her. And it was interesting because she has said, you know, I think her first thing is a little bit jarring where she says, I don't recommend missions trips. Mm-hmm. 
but she did have a butt in there, but it can be very valuable if it has the intentionality and and specific purposes. And so that was something that I think there's so much wisdom in that. It's such a simple statement, yet with such complexity behind it. And I know she understands that. And I just really wish there was more time to dive into that deeper with her. But it's something that uh, I think she gives a good, real um, start to that in this interview. I think this is something we would love to hear from you, our listeners, as you hear those things, as you step back and think maybe you've been on a mission trip and does that bring up something in you when you hear people say or you hear Phil and I discuss that maybe that's not the best use of time or maybe that's not the best use of resources and are we really going in to help or are we really in the end result being something that we're causing more harm than good and so i would love to hear your comments and your thoughts on that you can connect with us again at our thinkorphan.com website page but also on facebook so thanks for joining us and we look forward to hearing from you We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.